Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Interim Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. And I'm Dr. Phil Chan. Welcome, everyone. And Dr. Chan, it is great to hang out with you again today. I really come to privilege that we get to sit and chat, um, not just with each other, but we have pretty cool guests who come along, don't we? Absolutely. And uh, I'm thrilled to chat with Dr. Porter today. You know, interestingly, Dr. McDonald, uh, I realized, and this is how small Rhode Island is, is that I actually trained uh, with Dr. Porter's wife, uh, who's a physician here in Brown. How small of a world is it? It is that small of a world, and quite frankly, delighted that I do not have to paint it. Um, but it does, it's a very Rhode Island experience, quite frankly, where, you know, this is the, the smallest state in many ways, but it's also a state where we don't have a gossip problem, because if you say something about someone else, oh, they're hearing it, and it's not a good thing to do. So Dr. Stephen Porter, uh, climate change is our topic today. We're going to be talking about climate change, which I'm excited about because I happen to live on the planet and very interested in continuing to dwell on this planet. But before we get underway, Dr. Porter, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what do you do? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on. It's great to be on a show that's uh, at the intersection of, of, of health and climate. I am a professor at Brown University. I'm in the uh, ecology, evolutionary, and organismal biology department, as well as something called the Institute at Brown for Environment and Society. But another role I play, which is relevant to the climate change, is that I'm the uh, assistant provost for sustainability, which means that my job is thinking about how to reduce emissions from Brown, Brown's campus, uh, and also how to think about the balance between uh, trying to prevent climate change and trying to adapt to climate change, because we're going to need to do both. Thank you, Dr. Porter, for joining us. Uh, Super interested you're here, and this is obviously a topic that affects us all, whether or not you like it. But let's start off with just a very basic uh, definition here. Talk to us when we think about climate change, what, what is climate change? How should we think about it? I think the first thing to remember is that climate is the long-term average of weather. So it doesn't mean that, that we'll, the fact that the earth is warming does not mean we'll never have another cold day in the winter. And it doesn't mean that every day in the summer will be super hot. What it means is that on average, things are warming and they're warming at a very fast rate relative to the way the earth naturally changes. So climate change means warmer winters. It means hotter summers. It doesn't mean any particular day will be warmer or hotter, but on average it will be hotter. And the really important thing to remember before before I move past that is that it's not actually the averages that bother us, it's the extremes. So with hotter average temperature, come more intense heat spells, bigger storms, longer droughts. Those are the things that humans are going to really be affected by, not the average. Mm, I think that's, so that's well said. And you know, it's one of those things where weather matters and, and it's important that we understand weather. But I, I really want to get to a little bit of like, what causes climate change? And, you know, and it's a big question, but like, you know, I mean, I, I hear a lot about what causes climate change. Is it man-made, is it natural? And then there's this question about cows. Is cows farting really that big a problem? And I don't mean to be funny about that, but, you know, it really speaks to like, you know, quite frankly, there's a lot of factors that cause climate change, but cows are all over the world and there's a lot of them. And, and it just gets like man-made, you know, natural animals. Can you help me understand a little bit of what causes climate change? Absolutely. So the number one cause of climate change is emissions of carbon dioxide associated with the burning of fossil fuels. That's oil, coal, and gas, natural gas. Uh, that is 70 to 80% of the, of the reason the climate is changing. Cows 
Ruminant animals in general, cows are one of those, uh, do emit methane when they burp. It's actually not their farts. It's a bit of a misconception. But uh, so the fact that we've populated with the planet with so many cows does contribute more methane to the atmosphere. Methane is, a, is the second strongest green, uh, second biggest reason the climate is changing. So the first is carbon dioxide emitted by human activities. The vast majority of that comes from burning of fossil fuels. Methane is a second big problem. And methane comes both from fossil fuels, but also from cows. So that's how cows get into the story. The thing I wanna say about cows is, if you're looking at personal decisions, one of the things that you can do to reduce your greenhouse gas footprint is to consume less red meat. But if you're looking at the globe, we need to eliminate fossil fuel combustion if we're going to solve the climate problem. Wonderful, I think that makes sense, Dr. Porter. Let me ask. Let me even ask you a, a high-level question here. I think you know. I was reminded as you were talking about ex extremes, right? So this past Saturday it was you know it was sixty degrees. I was outside with a t-shirt, and then on Sunday it was like snowing, right? And uh, it snowed like six or eight inches uh, here in Rhode Island. But how much should we care about climate change? And I guess the question is, uh, thinking about you know these uh, these increases in temperature overall. You know, what is the impact in general to the planet? Should we care? Can the planet heal itself? How do we, how big of a deal is climate change? There are, there are a couple of answers to that question. First, people who, who work in this field generally consider climate change the biggest threat to human well-being in the 21st century. That includes the UN Secretary General. It includes the vast majority of scientists. It includes people who look at long-term problems. And of course, one of the issues is that it is a long-term problem and it's gonna require long-term solutions, which means that it is often on the back burner as people deal with immediate crises, right? As we've seen, obviously, in the pandemic, everything else sort of fades away as you're trying to deal with an immediate crisis. But at the back end of that, climate change is still gonna be there. Um, in terms of health, most, public health experts view climate change as one of the most profound impacts, uh, most profound threats to human health. And that's because it impacts things like food insecurity. So as climate changes, if you depend on your local area for food production, as over a billion people in the world do, that ability to produce food will be uh, diminished. As crops, uh, as the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere increases, crops actually become less nutritious. And so we're, we're seeing increases in micronutrient deficiencies around the world, and those will be exacerbated by climate change. Then you talk about extreme events like hurricanes or droughts or uh, other big storms. All of those are going to have impacts on human health. So it's not, I think one of the things I want to push back on is this idea that it's us versus the planet. It's not that we want to fix climate change because we're trying to save the earth. We're trying to fix climate change because it's going to have a profound effect on all of our well-being, on our children's well-being, and on our grandchildren's well-being. And it's for that reason that we want to fix it. It's not because we're trying to hug the trees and save the planet. It's very much in our self-interest. It will be way less expensive and way less damaging to deal with it now than it will be to let it happen and then deal with it, try to deal with it later. Yeah, I, that's that's a fabulous point because you know, growing up with the big blue marble and other things I grew up with on TV, you know, it was always about save the planet, as if somehow the planet had a conscience. But it's we who live on the planet, and we're the ones of conscience. 
we can actually do things. And, you know, I think the planet could quite frankly care less if we're here or not. I mean, it, it's, it's in our own interest. I think you say that so well. If you plug something in, you have a vested interest in trying to make sure climate change is something that we address. Um, and I think a lot of us plug things in. Quite frankly, if you're listening to our podcast, you plug something in to do that. And, and I guess it gets to this other question is, what are the ways that we can do things about it? Like, how do we undo uh, what's already been done, if it's even possible to undo what's already been done? Like, and I'll throw this out as a concept is, so I put a deposit down on an electric car. I'm hoping to pick it up in the end of April. You know, Gail and I said, it's just like, one, it's time to get a new car, but we really wanted to look at how do we really reduce our emissions? You know, and I'm, I'm hoping that's going to be something we're going to do that's going to be successful. I mean, it would be nice if we could convert the house to solar, um, although I have to tell you, I'm kind of wondering if nuclear fusion is an option, although that may be too Star Trek-y uh, for our conversation today. But like, I mean, you know, is buying an electric car something that's really going to make a difference or am I just being, you know, I don't know, me? What do you think? What can we do? So so I have, I have an electric car and that's definitely something that everybody will be doing as the, as the auto fleet switches over. And the sooner you do it, the better it will be for your personal footprint. Um, you're thinking right along the uh, right path. So for Americans, and particularly Americans in the Northeast, the big footprints that you have are your auto travel and your home heating and cooling. Uh, and then the last bit of it is your diet. And so cutting down on red meat, especially beef, is a, is a, is a um, beef and pork uh, are important components. But Electric vehicles, even if they're charged from a, uh, electricity that's produced by fossil fuels, are much more efficient than gas-fired vehicles. So, for example, I have a Chevy Bolt. Mm. Uh, it's an all-electric vehicle, and uh, I'm calculating that I'm getting somewhere north of 100 miles per gallon in terms of the emissions per mile relative to a gas car that's getting, you know, whatever, 25 or 30 to whatever kind of car you have. So that is one big piece of your footprint. The other thing I would say, if you can afford it, is instead of spending money on home renovations only that improve the aesthetics, there are ways to insulate and generally retrofit your house. And in fact, I've done to my house enough retrofitting that I don't have a furnace. And I bet I live right near you. Hmm. All I have, yes, I have what are called heat pumps. And those are air conditioners that work in reverse. So in the summer, they provide cooling. In the winter, they provide heating. There's no combustion. They're just moving heat from one place to the other. Uh, and my house is, I guarantee you, more comfortable than yours because with a, a good layer of insulation and these heat pumps, the house is super comfortable. We, when we moved in here, we had steam radiators. And you know how it is. The house is freezing in one spot and roasting yeah. in another. Yeah. And you get nosebleeds all the time because it's like, dry. They're so and, dry. Yeah. yeah. Now, are your heat pumps powered by gas or how are they powered? No, no, all electric. So, so you asked what we could do. That's right. We, so, we need to get away from combustion everywhere. So that's so the, the key thing, point. Get yep. away from combustion, right? Yep, that's and, right. And, and it really gets that point about like, so I don't know if my heat pumps are electric or gas, by the way. that's There's no such out. thing as a heat pump that's gas. So if you have a heat pump, there you go. Then, yep, your refrigerator, your air conditioner, those are electric, and that's what a heat pump is. So we have heat pumps, which is good. It's funny. When I lived in Pennsylvania, we used to have geothermal heat pumps. Which mm -hmm. I, I thought were great. Um, you know, it's funny. I guess that's something that really isn't common in in the Northeast here. But heat pumps are good here. Uh, you know, and it's funny. Like when I look at solar, one of the things I have to say about solar is it's a lot of money. To be quite candid with you, like in, in you know, it's, our house has been insulated. I've had them come out from the power company. Mm -hmm. Suggestions were made. Things were done. 
money was spent. You know, and, and we made some changes here. And so, I mean, the electric car, we're doing a Ford Mustang, by the way. I know mm-hmm. it doesn't look like I'm that cool, but it turns out I am. Um, mm-hmm. So the Ford Mustang is supposed to come the end of April. We will see how that turns out. You're going to love how it drives. They well, drive I, so much better than gas cars. It's not, it's like, if you like, I don't particularly care for drive, like doesn't, but accelerating and turning and all those things that people like about cars, man, electric cars just make gas cars look like dinosaurs. Well, it's funny you say that when I test drove it, it, I went test driving it. Like I'm not going to buy a car today. When Gail and I test drove it, we were like, Oh my gosh, this is like being on a ride in Disney world. This is so fun. (laughs) Um, And so it was exciting here. All right. Let me stop because I'm rambling here. Let's let Dr. Chan take over here. (laughs) No, thank you. Thank you, Dr. McDonald. I was just reflecting on what Dr. Porter said. I don't even know what a heat pump is. So I'm learning. I'm learning as we talk here. Well, Um, here, Dr. Chan, let me tell you what a heat pump is. Your refrigerator is a heat pump. So what does your refrigerator do? It takes heat out of the box on the inside and dumps it into your kitchen, which is warmer than your inside of your fridge. So it's, it's using electricity to move heat from one place to the other. Imagine running that in reverse. So you could take uh, heat out of the cold air outside, make that a little bit colder and dump that heat into your house. And that warms your house. Now, the advantage of that is that that process of moving heat from one place to the other is way more efficient than it is to burn something to create that heat. So the little bit of electricity you need to move heat from one place to the other is much more efficient. Now, in the past, heat pumps weren't really built for super cold weather. So they didn't work great if it was 20 degrees outside. But I'll tell you what, I had a night here in Providence when we first put these heat pumps in, it was negative 15 at my house. And the air coming in the inside out of the vent in my, uh, from my heat pump was 140. So hmm. it's pulling heat out of negative 15 degree air and dumping that into the house in a concentrated way. So that's what a heat pump is. Sorry, just to fill you in. No, love it. Thank you. That's uh, something I'm going to look into. Let me ask you this, Dr. Porter, as we chat about this, we talked a lot about uh, individual level, well, what we can do as an individuals, but I guess from a practical and even philosophical, as we think about how to approach this problem of climate change, and this is something we've talked uh, to some other guests about, uh, it seems like to really impact climate change, we need more structural level interventions from governments, from the from corporations. And, you know, I'm sort of just, I'm, I'm listening and yes, I'm all about recycling and, and minimizing our footprint, but it seems to me that part of the conversations, if not the majority of the conversations really needs to focus on what corporations, what businesses can do. I think we as individual people can only do so much together. Of course, we can do a lot, uh, but it's really getting these, these multinational corporations on board uh, and, and really reframing the conversation uh, a little bit it, such that it's not what you know I can do. Um, I will do my best, but really what these corporations and businesses do, and especially those that uh, contribute to a lot of the waste uh, from the world. What, what are your thoughts about how this conversation should go and this concept of, of what we can do as individuals versus more of uh, corporations, business, government focus? Yeah, it's a great question. I have a lot of thoughts about it. So the first is that, um, the first is to Dr. McDonald's point, what can I do? And what you can do in your own house and in your own life is get ready for electrification. So you can electrify your heating, electrify your cooling, electrify your car, your cooling's already electric, uh, and be as efficient as possible. But to your point, you cannot make the grid 
more renewable or runoff fusion or runoff whatever, right? So the next thing you can do is you can sign up to buy, you don't need to put solar panels on your house. There are organizations that will sell you solar power from new build solar in Rhode Island. Uh, so you can sign up for that. It will be cheaper on your electric bill than what you're currently paying now. Beyond that, of course, there's the role of government. But I would remind you that we are the government, right? So this idea that people have no responsibility because it's corporations or because it's governments, we are the government and we are buying the stuff that those corporations are selling. So ExxonMobil, yes, they're a huge polluter. Why are they a huge polluter? Because we're all buying their gasoline. They're not a huge polluter because nobody's buying their gasoline. They're a huge polluter because everybody's buying their gasoline. So what can you do? You can electrify. What can we do at the higher level? We can sign up for renewable energy. What can we do at a higher level? We can vote for people and politically motivate ourselves to address climate change at a substantial government level. But that does not absolve us of responsibility. Even if the grid were 100% electric, if we were all driving gas-powered giant trucks, we wouldn't get to where we need to go. So it's an all hands on deck situation. And I guess I would say, here's, my here's, here's the way I conceptualize it. If NASA came to you and said, you know what? In 2060, an asteroid is gonna hit the planet and wipe out everything. We should spend a bunch of money now and try and deflect it rather than wait till 2059, right? I think everybody would be on board that we would change things up quite a bit to avoid that happening. Even if some of us aren't gonna be around in 2059, we'd still do a bunch. Well, climate change is not gonna wipe out humans on this planet, but it is an existential threat to the well-being of our children, to ourselves and to our grandchildren. And given that, we should be acting more like it's an asteroid and thinking about how to spend money and do things now so that we can avoid those consequences and have a high certainty of avoiding those consequences in the future. So I don't want to absolve government or corporations, but nor do I want to absolve individuals. Every time we make choices about you know, renovating the bathroom, renovating the kitchen, renovating this, that, the other thing, and not bothering to put in insulation, not bothering to switch to heat pumps, that's a conscious choice that says I've, that's more important to me than climate change. And I don't think it's a I don't think it's fair to do that and then say, well, it's really the government that has to do, do something right. We all have to do something. Yeah, I like that. All. And I, I know I think you're right, though. I think it's, it's and this is part of why I think this episode was so interesting to me is like, like, I want to be part of the solution because I'm part of the planet. I want to be part of the solution. I want to do things that matter. I want to go back to one of the points you made earlier, though, like so I can choose who supplies my electricity and power to my home. That's something I can do. And you said there's a possibility I could buy renewable power. Now, you know, there's people who live to our, listen to our podcast who aren't just in Rhode Island, but they listen to different states or some people from different countries. One of the nice things about the Internet, the whole world can listen to public health out loud, which is great. So, you know, Dr. Porter, as as we think about that, it's like, is this available in every state where you pretty much can choose? And how would you find it? Like, is this go to Google and say, I want to find renewable power? How do you find what the power supplier is for your state? So it does depend on the state, and I'm not an expert in all 50 states and what you can do. So I, I would I would just encourage people to, to, to look around. Um, in Rhode Island, there are several organizations. Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to mention them on there. We're allowed to mention anything we buy. So, Go ahead. Mention so I buy, my, I buy my power through uh, an organization called Arcadia. And what they do essentially is when you sign up with them, they aggregate a whole bunch of people, and then they use that to agree to be the off-taker from a new solar project. Uh, and so uh, essentially you sign up, you're, they pay national grid, you pay them like, and, 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 uh, and it's pretty, it's pretty transparent. You can see how much uh, 
I, I didn't save a ton on my electricity bill last month. I think it was like $3, but I didn't pay more for it. I paid, you know, a, a team. Well, but that's, a, that's valuable right? to me. Like I well, actually would, yeah. I'd pay more. I'd pay more. Right. But if, if it was neutral, even a little savings, right. I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm a customer at that point. You know what yeah, I mean? That's interesting. Exactly. Exactly. And so what happens is, you know, as they get enough people, so you sign up and maybe it'll be five or six months or something before, and you don't pay them really anything at that point. Uh, you just pay your bill. And then once there is space on a, on a new solar farm, then they start allocating that electricity to you. So that's definitely something you can do. It doesn't cost you anything. It just costs you a little bit of time to you know, figure out how to do it. Um, there, there are different arrangements in different states, but there, in most states, at least as far as I know, so, some such thing is possible. And it doesn't require putting solar on your roof. Now, if you want to put your solar on your roof, there are ways to do that without paying up front as well. So there are companies that will essentially uh, put it up for free, and then you're in a contract with them, and they, they get some of the profit, and you get some of the reduction on your electricity bill, and you don't have to pay for the solar up front because the upfront costs are big. But the payback is long. So for example, Brown University, my university, we just contracted to be the 20-year off-taker of 240 acres of solar panels uh, in Southern Rhode Island. Now, we didn't buy those panels up front. We just, we act like the tenant, right? We, we, are, the, we are the off taker of that electricity. We promise we'll buy it for year after year after year. And that allows the developer to get financing and build it. And so the same is true on an individual level. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Porter. Let me ask you this about uh, climate change. Uh, as we've talked, I was kind of wondering, what is the point, in your opinion, what is the point of no return? Is there a point of no return? What is, you know, I've heard a lot about this. We need to, just, you know, start doing X uh, before this date, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, where are we with that? So I would say that that, you know, doomsday cliffs, you know, one and a half degrees or two degrees is really a product of the news media and not of the scientific community. So, there are different parts of the climate system and some of them change quickly and some of them change slowly. So for example, for sea level rise, which is a huge issue here in Rhode Island where we're seeing flooding on sunny days in places that never used to flood, uh, coastal areas, coastal roads, coastal towns. Um, that sea level rise, no matter what we do, is going to continue about the same through 2050. Now our decisions, uh, now will affect what happens after 2050. But because the ocean is slow to respond to what we've already done, it's still catching up to what we've already done. So for some things, we're going to have to adapt. For other things like the air temperature, that's, that's quite a bit more responsive to changes in emissions sort of today, tomorrow, next week, next decade, right? And so those things will respond more quickly. I guess what I would say about a point of no return is there's a really big difference in terms of how bad this is going to be uh, between if the globe warms up, you know, one and a half degrees Celsius, which, by the way, is Rhode Island has already warmed more than that. So that global average uh, reflects uh, many places that aren't warming as quickly as Rhode Island. But anyway, if the globe warms up two degrees Celsius, which is more, you know, th uh, three point six degrees Fahrenheit. That will be bad. If it warms up four degrees Celsius, that will be way worse. So there is no cliff. There's no point at which we give up. There's just the consequences get worse and worse and worse with more and more and more warming, which is why even if we pass one and a half degrees or two degrees or whatever, we shouldn't, we that doesn't mean we should just throw up our hands and you know party till the earth burns down. No, there's a there's a there's a benefit every 
kilogram of carbon dioxide that we keep out of the atmosphere is a good kilogram. And that doesn't go away if it's already warmed up. Some. And I think that's a great note to end on today. And it's interesting, you know, I think it's been great talking to Dr. Stephen Porter from Brown University. And, you know, it's been wonderful to have this really exciting conversation. You know, I am optimistic about our future. And, and part of the reason I'm optimistic about our future is, uh, you know, it's when you don't know what you don't know that you usually get in trouble. You know, if we, I believe we have the technology to solve our problems. I, we, I believe we have the technology to actually change things. And, and I think it just requires commitment, though. And I think part of it is just convincing more and more individuals to sort of say, what can I do to make a difference? Um, and because quite frankly, and I, and I love this concept you brought up. It's not about saving the planet. It's about saving our species. The planet, you know, just, you know, could frankly, you know, it's us who need to live here. One of our traditions on Public Health Out Loud, and Stephanie, go ahead and start cueing the music here, is Dr. Chan gives us our final word. So Dr. Chan, what's the final word for today's episode? Yes, thank you, Dr. McDonald. Thank you, Dr. Porter, for joining us. Super appreciated. I certainly learned a lot, uh, and this is obviously a topic that affects all of us. But uh, in closing, I do want to leave us all with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of the week. And here it is. As challenging as the last couple of years have been, one consequence is that many more people, including myself, are spending time outside. Uh, we only have one world. And here is a, a final quote by American philosopher John Muir. In every walk with nature, one receives far more than they seek. So get outside today, enjoy the day, and do what we can to, to save this world. Thank you all and be well. I want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer, Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.